Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series on the book of Matthew with this sermon entitled, Prayer is Petition, preached on July 20th, 1997. Matthew 6, 11 through 15, prayer is petition. We've been studying the uh, Lord's Prayer. The outline, the skeleton, the pattern, the model of prayer that Jesus Christ has taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. And we considered that prayer is talking to our Heavenly Father. We also considered that prayer is adoration, that we should not rush into the presence of God to demand things from Him. We must be very aware in our spirit, aware of the glory of God, the majesty of God, the perfections of God. And therefore, we must come to His presence Seeking his glory in all things we do. But prayer is also a petition to our Heavenly Father. As children talk to their Father delightfully and constantly, the children of God alone have the mighty privilege of talking to their Heavenly Father in prayer. This means if you are not praying, you are not born of God. You are fooling yourself, young man, young woman. You are fooling yourself. You are pretending that you are a Christian when you are not. You can know who a Christian is in terms of his communion with God, his prayer life. The prophets prayed, the apostles prayed, Jesus constantly prayed and taught his disciples to pray. Prayer is also adoration of our Heavenly Father. We hallow his name. We submit eagerly to his kingdom rule and we delightfully do his will. There you have it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He who prays seeks above all the glory of God in all the world. Prayer, as I said, also is petitioning our Heavenly Father for our total need. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. I believe Jesus, he is speaking in terms of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 25 and 28 and 34. Jesus said, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. In terms of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, don't be anxious. So listen to what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition. 
with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Prayer to God is the cure of all anxiety. Prayer is asking God and receiving from him everything necessary for our existence in the world as children of God. When we pray, God meets our physical and spiritual need. So let us consider now the fourth petition. There are six petitions in this prayer pattern. Three, seeking the glory of God. And three, dealing with the total needs of God's children. The fourth petition especially deals with bread and spiritual need of the body and of the soul. Bread as well as forgiveness and total deliverance from all evil. Give us this day our daily bread. After praying for the glory of God's name... One may expect to pray for our souls. But that is not what Jesus is teaching. He wants us to pray first for the need of our body. Give us, it says. God alone is self-existing, self-sufficient and independent. We all live and move and have our being in him. As creatures, therefore, we depend on God's provision for our very existence. If we must live, God must give. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, the immutable, unchanging God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? A realization of that will keep you, young man, pretty humble. The expected answer is nothing. We have nothing that we did not receive from the source of all gifts, our Heavenly Father. We receive everything from God. It is our God who gives to all the creatures. He is the one who gives to birds and the young lions in his providence. It is he who in his common grace gives food even to his enemies. Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 45, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So the prayer says, give us. Nowhere in this prayer we find, give me. That should radically change our prayer habit because most of us pray give me 
Instead, we read, give us, forgive us, lead us not, deliver us, and so on. This prayer, therefore, reminds us that we are not just individuals. We are a family, a community, so we must think in terms of the welfare of God's people. Not give me, but he teaches us to say, give us. Thus, the early church demonstrated not self-love, but brotherly love. And we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, all believers were together and had everything in common. The early church cared for their poor and their widows and their orphans. So keep this in mind in our prayers. We are a family, so know the needs of the family. The entire community, in other words, and pray for the needs of the whole community. St. John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us, Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. That is the church. We are all brothers and sisters born of the same father in heaven from whom his whole family derives its name. Give us today. We must pray every day. We cannot pray once for all time. The father delights in seeing us and hearing us daily. This is true of ordinary human fathers and it is also true of our heavenly father he delights in communing with us so notice we read in Exodus 16 about how God provided for his people in terms of heavenly manna that story is found in Exodus chapter 16 And there we read, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go each day and gather enough for that day. Give us this day. It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. Forty years, about 14,600 days, God, in his great mercy, showered for his people heavenly manna, which they gathered every day except for the Sabbath. God's faithfulness. God faithfully fed his people. Even so then, in this prayer, God requires us to pray daily and to receive daily provision from him. His grace is new every morning. As a father, he is not weary of giving. In fact, he delights in giving to his children And now we are told, give us this day our daily bread. That word daily in Greek is epiousios. And you don't find that uh, term used in the secular Greek in any clear way. 
It may mean daily, it may mean bread for the coming day, or it may mean bread that is necessary for our existence. The word does not appear elsewhere. The meaning then is not the bread for the rest of my life. Bread for each day, whether it is today or whether it is the day coming. We are not taught, in other words, to pray for a lump sum gift. Yes, we are given lump sum in Jesus Christ, but we have to receive daily from the Father. As they gathered manna each day, we seek from God daily for the day's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And we read in Matthew chapter 15, when we read how Jesus dealt with uh, that Gentile woman, there we see this expression, the bread is for children. I say, count on it. Give us this day then, what? Our daily bread. Now this word bread is called synecdoche. S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. That's a literary device, a literary expression, particular standing for the whole. In other words, bread, that's the only term that is used for the totality of our physical need. Bread stands for all our material necessities, not just physical bread alone. So this word bread stands for food, shelter, clothes, shoes, medicine, transportation, education, marriage, family, work, retirement, death. We need to pray for dying. Have you been praying for dying? Sickness. We pray that God may give us health, safety, children, salvation, and so on. It is standing for the whole necessities, especially, of course, the material necessities of our being. But notice it says bread, and that means that we ought to pray for our need rather than for our greed. We need to have a sense of contentment in Jesus Christ. We are not to be characterized by covetousness. This prayer gives us no permission to pray for luxury. Oh, it is good to have contentment in godliness. Look at Achan, what happened. He was a covetous person and therefore he stole. And look at uh, Judas, he committed treason so he can have more. And look at Ahab. He committed murder. He murdered Naboth so he can have his vineyard added to his vast holdings. Or look at Demas. He became apostate so he can make money. I may God help us to be content with what God has provided and what God is providing. So this prayer will not give us permission to ask for luxury. He may give you luxury. He may give you great wealth. 
but we are not to pray for it. And if we are given great wealth, it is for the purpose of distribution as well as enjoyment. So let's turn to the book of Proverbs and there is a prayer in the 30th chapter of Proverbs. There is a man, his name is Agur and the saying of Agur, son of Jacke, and verse 8 and 9, here he prays. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me, he says, neither poverty. And I don't think we have any problem praying that prayer. But I think we have a problem praying the other prayer, which is what? Nor riches. And now he explains why he so prays. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you. And say what? Who is the Lord? That's what Pharaoh asked. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, I say that we ought to pray, O God, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, that I may love God and serve him all the days of my life. Or listen to St. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me read to you from verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, I suppose he's speaking about Demas and others, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Or look at uh, the 17th chapter of uh, 1 Kings. There you find the story of Elijah. And he was sent to near Brook Kerith to hide. Go ahead and hide yourself. I'm sick and tired of this nation. I don't want you to speak to them. Go and hide yourself. And he went and hid himself. And there God fed him by a raven, we are told. Daily, two times, morning and evening, bread and meat and then he drank from the brook. And then he told Elijah to go to Sarephath. And there he finds a widow. And she had a little jar and a little jug. And the jar had a little flour. And the jug had a little oil. She wanted to bake two small cakes, one for herself and one for his son, and then die. But you see the miracle that God performed. And so, every day she goes to the jar, and there there is enough for, not only for her and for her son, but also now for the prophet. 
And you look at the little jug. There is enough oil. See, God didn't fill her entire house with a lot of flour and with a lot of oil. But every day there was flour and there was oil to sustain not only the widow and her son, but also the prophet. And later on, you see, we find Elijah all despondent and he asks God to die. Oh God, kill me. I'm sick and tired of being a prophet. Everybody is apostate. Just kill me. I had enough. I'm glad God didn't hear that prayer. But notice he gives him bread, a cake, and water by the angel. See, that's the way God provides for us. And that is enough, brothers and sisters. That's enough. And it is that type of caring for us that causes us to go to God on a daily basis. And he wants to see you. The Bible says he wants to see you and he wants to hear from you regularly. However, we must understand that this bread will never come to us without work, which is God's order. We are to eat bread by the sweat of our brow. But God is good, therefore his earth still will produce if you work the earth. And the Bible strictly prohibits us concerning eating bread of idleness. You will see that in Proverbs 31 and verse 27 and 2 Thessalonians 3. You are not to eat bread of idleness or bread of deceit. Making money by fraud is prohibited. Proverbs 20 and verse 17. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with a mouth full of gravel, it says. But God gives us bread by granting us health, intelligence, and opportunity. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 where we are taught this particular lesson in verse 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And by doing so, he is demonstrating his love, covenant love for you. So I say to you, get a life. Get education, get skill. Look for opportunity, work opportunity, and work very hard. Let me tell you, the Lord loves you, and he will surely give you daily bread all the days of your life. He taught us to pray. And so you can rest assured that he will give you an opportunity to work, provided you develop the skill. 
Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, meaning food and clothing and so on, will be added unto you. You can count on God's faithfulness, let me tell you, to give us our daily bread. So therefore, the fourth petition dealing with all of our material needs, not in luxury but in necessities, give us this day our daily bread. Now we go to the fifth petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In the fifth and sixth petitions, the need of our souls are met. Now, I spoke to you last time. I said there are several words that describe sin. And one of the words is ophelema, that is debt. Now, if you look at Matthew 6 and verse 12... You notice this debt is the same as trespass. Or if you look at Luke 11 and verse 3, you notice it is sin. So you don't have to think too much to understand that he is speaking about the debt that we owe to God, which is obedience. And so here he is speaking about our sin. Show me a man who works hard for physical bread only and not seek forgiveness of his sins from God. I'll show you a man who is most miserable and who pretends to be happy. Here God's children are taught to seek forgiveness of sins for the health of their souls. Sin is seen as a debt. To God. We owe Him obedience. We are unable to pay this enormous debt. Now, debtors are sent to prison, as we read in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, and the prison for the debt of obedience to God is eternal hell. No man can pay this debt. So, our Heavenly Father devised a plan for the remission of this debt. He sent His Son into this world, the divine person who took upon Himself a perfect human nature. This Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life in obedience to His Father. And on the cross He died for the sins of His people, the debts of His people. There he said it is finished. There he accomplished our redemption. Now everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus Christ alone receives forgiveness of his sins, forgiveness of his debts. Such a person is justified by the Father instantly by the imputation of Christ's righteousness to him. And he is also instantly adopted into the family of God. He becomes a child of God and is given this mighty privilege of coming to his presence with confidence and make his petitions known to him. So this petition, forgive us our debts, i.e. sins, trespasses, has to do not with justification but with daily sanctification 
we all have received the full bath of justification as we read in John 13. But this petition deals with the washing of our feet that we may fellowship with the Father and the Son. It is in our fellowship with the Father and the Son we find complete joy. Joy comes by fellowship with the Father and the Son and to enjoy that fellowship we have to wash our feet as children of God and ask God to forgive us our sins. This prayer shows that only God can forgive our sins. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2 and verse 7. There you find the assertion that only God could forgive sins. Why does this fellow notice mockingly referring to Jesus? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But read on, you find Jesus Christ is God and he forgives sins. That is true. That is only God alone can forgive sins. Keep that in mind. No psychiatrist, no sociologist, no philosopher can forgive our sins. All sin is against God fundamentally. God must forgive our sins. And he forgives our sins in his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you, without the cross, forgiveness is utterly impossible. And without repentance, one cannot receive this forgiveness either. The prayer for forgiveness of sins is not for those who pretend that they are perfect. There are some people in the Christian world who believe in perfectionism. Now, if you believe that, then you cannot pray, pray this prayer... But such people are perfectly suffering from serious delusion of the mind. For John says, read 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim that we are without sin, we are making God himself a liar. See the delusion, how serious this mental delusion is. When we repent and confess and forsake our sins, let me tell you, God applies the blood of his son to deal with our sins. You go home and read these scriptures Psalm 85 verse 2, and there we are told God covers our sins. Our job is to expose it, to confess it, and God puts it away, covers it by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, we read God blots it out, erases it forever. Isaiah 44 verse 22, he scatters our sins as he scatters the clouds. Micah 7 verse 19 tells us he casts our sin into the depth of the sea. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 says he remembers our sins no more. 
And Jeremiah 31 verse 34 also says, He forgives us our sins. And number 7, Jeremiah 33 and verse 8 tells us, He forgives us all our sins. Let's praise Him. Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors, not because we forgive our debtors. In other words, forgiving our debtors is not a work that merits forgiveness. No, forgive us our debts as we forgive. We are not to go to God in prayer until we forgive our brothers. And that fact is clearly established in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24. Let's turn to it. Don't ever come to the church without taking care of problems you have with your wife, with your husband, your children, with the neighbor. Let me read to you. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If we fail to forgive our brothers, it proves we have not been forgiven of the Father. It proves we are not his children. It is a serious issue when we insist on not forgiving others. Our forgiveness of others is an evidence that we have been forgiven by God on the basis of sheer mercy and grace. It is sheer hypocrisy to go to God for forgiveness of our sins when we refuse to forgive the sins of others. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. His forgiveness of us is first. <laughs> it is on that basis we forgive others. So then... For daily enjoyment of God's fellowship, we need His gracious daily forgiveness. This is God's provision for our souls. And now let's look at the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me tell you, the person whose sins are forgiven longs to sin no more. There is a hatred for sin if you are a true child of God. Yes, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is evil. Ab intra means what? Evil from within and ab extra, evil without. You see, there is sin in us. The lust of the flesh. And there is sin outside of us, world, and Satan, and demons. And so we are instructed by Jesus himself in Matthew 26, verse 41. As God's children, we are instructed by him. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now we know God does not tempt anyone. But Satan tempts us. God tests us to prove 
and improve us. But it is proper for God's people daily to pray what? Lord, keep us from being tempted by the devil. It's a good prayer. Lord, keep us from being tempted by the devil. Number two, but if you permit me to be tempted, if you permit us to be tempted, notice again the us, help us to resist the devil and being able to be victorious in the end. Now that's a good prayer, isn't it? And notice 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. This great promise is given to you and to me. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? And then, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Finally, you can stand up under it strong and victorious. And so you say to God, O God, if you permit us to be tempted, help me to resist the devil and stand firm in victory. And so notice Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And you read on. So that having done all, you are able to stand victoriously. So we must pray, oh Lord, keep us from being tempted by the devil. But if you permit us to be tempted, help us to resist the devil. That we'll be able to be victorious. That I could see that way out. (laughs) That I could put on the whole armor of God and deal with the enemy. Number three, but if we, like Peter, fail and fall in the temptation. Raise us up and help us to be restored as you have restored Peter. Remember Peter was arrogant and self-sufficient and he was self-confident. He was independent. So he said in Luke 22 and verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Yet notice Peter denied Jesus Christ three times a few hours Later, he felt terribly because he was not watchful and prayerful. You see, John 15 and verse 5 says, You can do nothing without me. And St. Paul learned that he can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. He tells us that in Philippians chapter 4. And St. John tells us, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And in Revelation 12 verse 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. Let's understand one thing. We can do nothing without him. And with him dwelling in us, giving us strength, we are able to do all 
things. To resist the devil and he shall flee from us. Let's understand that. Yes, we know who Satan is. Evil up extra. He's the prince of this world. He has a kingdom. He's the prince of this world. He's the strong man. He's the dragon. He's the god of this world. He's a spirit. Yeah, let me tell you, he's a creature. He's not almighty, omniscient, omnipresent. He's the chief fallen angel. And he has assistance, lord of demons. And yet the scripture tells us, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Christ came to destroy his work, to bind the strong man, to defeat him by his death and resurrection. He thoroughly defeated the devil and liberated us forever. In Christ, we can therefore resist the devil and he shall and he must flee from us. This prayer then lead us not into temptation. It may be that it is called a litotes. And that again is a literary expression. Like when you say not a few came to church means what? A lot of people came to church. That's what it means. Or when Paul says I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's a litotes. Means I am very proud of the gospel. A litotes is a literary device that expresses something by negating its contrary. So then, when we really lead us not into temptation, it may mean lead us only into righteousness. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? You have forgiven our sins. I don't want to sin anymore. Lead us only into righteousness and deliver us from evil. And this prayer, deliver us from evil, it is the prayer for deliverance from all evil. This will ultimately take place when Christ comes again. Let me tell you, there shall be a new heaven and what? A new earth where dwells righteousness. Soon our Lord shall dispose of all evil. And St. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18 at the end of his life he says this. The Lord will deliver me from every work of evil. And will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen he said. Or turn with me to Revelation verse 21 and verse 8. We read this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Or turn to the same chapter and verse 27. And let's listen. It says nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a final disposition of all evil let me tell you. Turn with me to the last book. Revelation 22 and verse 15. 
And here again we read, outside, not inside, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practice falsehood. Or turn to Jude and verse 24. Let us listen to what Jude is saying concerning the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with reference to his church. To him who is able to keep you from falling. And who is that? Jesus Christ. That's what he... To him who is able to keep you from falling. And he will keep his church from falling. In other words, he will deal with all evil. And to present you before his glorious presence as God's presence. Without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. So in these three petitions we are fully provided for all the needs of his children. Their physical needs as well as for the need of their souls. I said, this is a prayer for those who are children of God. And we started by a prophecy. And if you are a young person who is mocking Jesus and refuse to submit to his kingdom and to glorify his name and to do his will, you are not qualified to pray this prayer. And I assure you that you don't pray. And so my word for you, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Listen to the Ninevites. Jonah himself was waiting for their destruction and he was surprised when God didn't destroy them. They repented and they were saved. Isn't it wonderful? This prayer is a mighty privilege. It's a great privilege. Let me give you an illustration of a prayer that the mighty Luther prayed. It was in the year 1540. And his friend and fellow soldier by name Friedrich Myconius was dying. And so he wrote a letter. Myconius wrote a letter to his friend informing him of his impending death. And Luther got the letter and he read it. And instantly he crafted a letter and sent it to him. And this is what the letter says. You know, this is confident, mighty, powerful prayer. Listen to this. And you will understand something about Luther and his habit of prayer. I command thee in the name of God to live. Because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead. But will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying. This is my will. And may my will be done. Because I seek only to glorify the name of God. And you know what happened? Friedrich Myconius lived six more years and survived Luther by two months. That's prayer. That's serious prayer. 
That's prayer of confidence. That's prayer of faith. That's praying to the Heavenly Father. That is praying for the will of God to be done. Hallelujah. And it's your privilege. It's my privilege to read the word of God, to come to God and to pray according to the will of God and see what God will do for you. He will meet your physical and your material need. He is for us. Hallelujah. He is our heavenly father. He sent his own son to save us. Therefore, he will save us and he will help us. Let's rise and let's praise our God and learn to pray. Be confident. Be bold. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.